This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. While the special weather statement warning about high winds in the hours ahead is not predicting hurricane force gusts, the current drought makes any wind event a particular concern. Kamal Karmali joins us live from Stanley Park tonight. Kamal, it's the condition of Metro Vancouver trees right now that's causing so much concern. Yeah, it's those weakened trees that are causing that concern that you mentioned, all due to those drought conditions and those pesky looper moths that we saw earlier this summer. I want to show you uh, an example of where I'm standing right now is a dangerous spot to be when these winds pick up because uh, this tree right here, this hemlock, is dead because of the looper moth infestation. And you can see this massive branch just hanging over this very uh, often used pathway here. There are spots like this all over Stanley Park and once the winds pick up, spots like this will be of major concern. Even on a beautiful day in Stanley Park, it's tough to miss the death and decay. I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we come in the morning and we see a bunch of dead, dead branches. Arborist Francis Climo has been noticing a lot more dead trees this year, victims of a one-two punch. An outbreak of looper moths feasting on the western hemlocks. That's a lot of factors, right, that is definitely going to accelerate, um, you know, a tree's process of potentially becoming a hazard. And a historic drought from the driest September on record. Well, since about July 10th, say three months ago, uh, almost no rain here in the south coast. We've had a couple days here and there, but overall we're in about a 90-day drought. All of it weakening the trees. Add wind gusts into the mix, some that could kick up to 60 kilometers an hour, and it's the perfect storm. There will be a lot more failure as compared to previous years, right? Um, as what does failure mean? What do you mean? Failure means I mean by stem breakage, trees falling down. Business operators in Stanley Park along for the ride, whether they like it or not. What we're looking out is the uh, how the, the branch are moving, you know, the big branches are moving. While throughout the day, some on Vancouver Island took advantage of the strong winds. BC Hydro is anticipating some power outages, though overnight they say staff are ready to respond. We are expecting uh, the biggest impacts to potentially be uh, here on the lower mainland and Vancouver Island. And Kamal, what is the warning from BC Hydro on what to do if those power lines are hit in your area? Yeah, BC Hydro highly recommends keeping an emergency kit handy, things like food, water, flashlights, uh, you know, a, a blanket, uh, just uh, in case it takes crews a while to fix the damage. And if Environment, Environment Canada's forecast is correct, it, it could be a major wallop of a, a wind gusts that are hitting us. And just of note, it has really picked up here in Stanley Park uh, a bit in the last few minutes alone. 
All right. Well, maybe a good time to move away from that spot that you said was potentially <laughs> right. dangerous, Kamal. So uh, uh, you and the crew stay safe. Thanks for that. Well, the prolonged drought also making for challenging conditions late into the wildfire season. There are two new fires burning on Vancouver Island. And with those strong winds in the forecast expected to fuel some of the wildfires into the night, crews have been put on standby. Aaron MacArthur reports. Sunday night, two new fires in the Port Alberni area. One fire was dealt with immediately. Another blaze called the Spur 10 fire spreading to four hectares before crews could get it under control Monday afternoon. We worked on that fire overnight last night with a number of BCWS personnel along with some supporting fire departments. Monday in the Cowichan Valley, crews continued to work on the River Bottom Road fire. 21 firefighters working to set up guard lines around the 4.1 hectare blaze. The smoldering fire burning rank one and rank two through the undergrowth. If the wind comes up like it's supposed to, as high as it gets today, then it could be not good. So the ground crew is still working. So hopefully they've got it, got it uh, under control. That, uh, everyone can sleep easier once that happens. While significant progress has been made on both fires, the wind forecast around the province remains a wild card. And it, it's possible that, that we may experience some challenges due to that. But right now, things are going very well. The wind could whip up flames across southern BC. Near Grand Forks, a fire has burned through at least 170 hectares along Highway 3 in the Gilpin Grasslands Provincial Park. According to the BC Wildfire Service, nearly 60 fires have been ignited in the last week. That's over three times the typical average for this time of year. Long, cool nights with high relative humidity makes fighting these fires easier than they would have been during the height of summer. But this fire season will drag on as long as the drought conditions persist. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us with more on this drought. We have seen very little rain the past few months, Yvonne, and there's still not much in the forecast. Yeah, we could get go the next seven to potentially 10 days. Uh, we've had no rain in the rain gauge. And just to give you an idea, over the past 90 days, our average would be about 150 out of the airport, just picking up 16 millimeters, Abbotsford 10, and even just over a trace or two for areas near Victoria. So we've had no rain in the forecast. We're not tracking any in the coming days, likely leading into the next 10 days and this will be a big concern. This combined with the very windy conditions, we've got the ingredients to see power outages tonight. Here's a look at the current winds. I still anticipate though we're still going to watch that cold front push across the south coast and those winds potentially near the Strait of Georgia areas closer to the water could see that between 40 and a few spots over 60 kilometers per hour. So we're not on the clear just yet. We are going to see those winds ramp up. We have the potential to see power outages for all areas that are in red and that extends even into the southeastern corners of the province. Fire danger ratings today high to extreme. I'll have more coming up very shortly. So, All right, thanks for that, Yvonne. Veteran members with the Vancouver Police say the situation on the downtown east side is the worst they have ever seen when it comes to crime and calls for help. As Catherine Urquhart reports, one crime this weekend is especially shocking, with first responders concerned for their own welfare. On Vancouver's downtown east side, police are investigating the latest string of violent incidents one particularly disturbing. Police say that on Saturday, a suspect poured gasoline on numerous tents, 
and threatened to set them on fire. I've been a police officer for 16. I've spent most of my operational frontline career working in that neighborhood. Without a doubt, it's the worst that I've seen it. Darcy Rudiak was arrested and faces charges of assault with a weapon, assault by choking and uttering threats. A person with the same name has an extensive criminal history that includes charges for assault, possession of a dangerous weapon, and breach of probation. Police also dealt with yet another knife call at Crab Park. This after a stabbing spree there Saturday. And in a separate incident Saturday, someone was shot in the chest with a crossbow. When you uh, have these extreme uh, violent uh, incidents, uh, it adds a whole other level of uh, significant uh, risk, but also patient care wise, it, you know, there's some these serious traumatic injuries can uh, really task uh, not only uh, the crew doing the call, but the resources in, a, in an area or uh, community. Between 6 p.m. Friday night and 6 a.m. Monday, VPD officers received 1,500 calls. 154 of those were priority calls. We're concerned by uh, the level of violence that we've seen particularly in the downtown east side, and now spilling out into surrounding areas. Um, it's been building throughout the summer. Uh, it feels like it's reached a boiling point. That boiling point, a concern for first responders, residents of the downtown east side, and all Vancouverites, many of whom no longer feel safe in some areas of the city. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A downtown business has been targeted by thieves yet again, the fifth time in a year, and the latest theft was actually two in one. In the first surveillance video from Sebastian and Company, you can see a man wearing a mask and surgical gloves, wandering the store looking for valuables and cash. In the second video, just a few minutes later, a middle-aged woman with her hair tied back casually walks into the store, carefully selecting products off the shelves and placing the goods in her shopping bag. Just after one week of the uh, shop being, being broken into, this happened again. Um, it's absolutely crazy. Like, I really don't know what to do with this city anymore. Sebastian Cortez says there wasn't much stolen from the store in this latest theft, but there was a lot of damage done to the premises. If you have information on the latest theft or if you recognize either suspect in the video, you can call Vancouver Police. The British man who killed a young Vernon woman has been sentenced in her murder. Today, 23-year-old Jack Seppel learned he will be spending life in prison for the death of Ashley Wadsworth. Jasmine King has more on the sentence and what Wadsworth's parents had to say in court. Jack Aiden Seppel was sentenced to a minimum of 23 and a half years in prison on Monday for the murder of Ashley Wadsworth. The pair met online and spoke regularly for the four years they knew each other. In November 2021, Wadsworth had gone to England on a six-month tourist visa and on February 1st was found stabbed and strangled to death in their shared apartment. In a statement on the Essex Police website, Detective Superintendent Scott Edgerton stated his thoughts are with Ashley's family and friends today. Nothing will bring Ashley back, but I hope they will find some comfort by the sentence. Ashley's mother and father were both in court and shared victim impact statements about the loss they have suffered. Christy Jenrin, Ashley's mom, said her daughter's passion for life was immense and her love of adventure brought her to the UK. She went on to say, Your passion for Jack knew no bounds, but it seems your love, trust and support wasn't returned. My life will never be the same without you, Ashley. I will never be whole again.
The 19-year-old's father, Ken Wadsworth, told the court that he thinks about why she stayed with Jack with everything that had gone on. At the same time, I know you are such a kind and loving person and would have just wanted to help him with everything going on. Ashley, you are forever in my thoughts. Seppel was arrested the same day that Wadsworth was found dead. He confessed to the murder last month. Global News reached out to Ashley's family for reaction to the sentence. However, they have indicated they are not ready to talk about it quite yet. Jasmine King, Global News. Kelowna RCMP are investigating a possible hate crime at a local middle school. The disturbing graffiti has now been cleaned up at Dr. Knox Middle School. But on Sunday, police were called there to respond to the school being vandalized. Someone spray-painted several racist remarks on the school, including swastikas. Officials are working with the RCMP to identify those responsible. Kelowna RCMP are asking anyone with information or surveillance footage from the area to come forward. No shortage of bear sightings right now around Silver Star Ski Resort, the new tool for residents to report sightings, and why experts say it's a people problem, not a bear problem. I worked on the other side of the fence, and now I'm on this side of the fence. It's, it's, I can't believe it. Thousands of meals to be thankful for, and how the demographic of those in need is shifting. Plus... Biting the utensil that feeds you, the latest eco-friendly trend, not only tasty, but practical too. Those stories coming up tonight on the News Hour. Right now, though, bears in residential areas have become a common sight around Silver Star Ski Resort. And now a community group has been established to try to prevent any human-bear interactions from turning tragic for the animals. Megan Tricato has more. This bear was caught on camera sniffing at a garbage can in the Silver Star area last month. And last week, another community member reported a bear had done damage to the roof of this structure trying to get at garbage. There's no shortage of bear reports in the residential areas around the Silver Star Ski Resort. Now a new group is working to try to reduce the number of bears being destroyed due to conflict with humans. We're trying to change the idea that instead of having bears destroyed when they get into food, we, we stop that at the start by not leaving the food out for them. Silver Star Bear Stewardship was started last winter and has been focused on educating residents and visitors about how to protect bears, which starts with things like keeping garbage secure and not putting out bear attractants like bird feeders. We really have a big role to play that it's really not problem bears, it's our, our job to help make sure that bears um, are safe and that are kept away from human attractants and that it's really significant um, for us to, to have that active part. Last month, the group launched an online tool where residents can report black bear sightings. So far, nearly 50 people have made reports. People can put the location of the bear they see on a map and what kind of activity it's doing. So is it breaking into garbage? Is it just eating natural food? The plan is to use the crowdsourced information about where bears have been spotted and what they're doing to educate the community. Eventually we will have a website attached to the survey so that other people in the community can go and see if there's been a bear in their neighborhood and if it is getting into bear attractants. Ultimately, the stewardship group says the whole region needs to be on board with protecting bears as the animals spotted here travel well beyond the Silver Star neighborhood. Megan Turcato, Global News, Silver Star. Coming up, a party of one. I think that we need an independent in the mayor's seat in order to get council all on the same page. 
the municipal candidates you might not know about and why they feel they deserve your vote later. Being burnt out is not just about doing too much. Also tonight, the negative and positive impacts of social media on mental health. Attention, need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. With the municipal election just days away, some candidates in Vancouver are making one final push for people to vote independent. While civic political parties typically get more attention, independent candidates say they have the real advantage. Imadagahi reports. In a crowded field with dozens of candidates competing for the job of mayor or city councillor in the upcoming Vancouver municipal election. Our voices have been ignored. There are those affiliated with one of ten official parties and others who are running alone as independents. Let's hear it for our independent candidates. On Monday, the independent candidates rallied together, not only for their respective campaigns, but also for the independent vote. I'm 22 years old, we need to see a bit more youth in our government. I believe that all of our institutions are profoundly flawed and in need of transformative change. And I think that we need an independent in the mayor's seat in order to get council all on the same page to stop the politics of division. Traditionally, the independent candidate is at a disadvantage when forced to compete against an organized political party whose candidates are usually better resourced and advertised, with few exceptions. Kennedy Stewart was an independent, but he was also already known in the region as a member of parliament and the rest. Uh, you know, if you have a little bit of that name recognition, uh, it can help along, go a long way. And parties have, have usually been the kind of shortcut to help people uh, make their decision when they're confronted with a, a rather large ballot. And due to a lack of ward system, Candidates in cities like Surrey and Vancouver tend to run on a slate. My name is MTS Poppet and I'm running for independent mayor. But on this day, these candidates are fully aware of the challenges of being an independent. Vote for us! And with a week to go in a long campaign, they are willing to push to the end. Imadagahi, Global News. Some of those uh, ballots that you saw in Imad's piece are very long. Uh, Keith Baldry joins us to talk more about the upcoming elections. Voting day Saturday, of course, Keith, some very crowded races out there. Yeah, you saw one of them in that story there, that huge board. I've never seen a ballot that big. Uh, the, the average number of candidates most people are going to be looking at when it comes to, to city councils and school boards is about 35, 40 or so from in most metro and urban and suburban ridings or suburban uh, municipalities. But it's a different story when you come to Vancouver, Surrey and Victoria. Take a look at the daunting task Vancouver voters face. 15 choices for mayor, 59 choices for, for council positions, 32 on the parks board. They've got 
got a crowd of people because they're the only one with the parks for it. And school choice, trustee choices, 31, a whopping 137 names on that ballot. Surrey, though, not far behind when it comes to choices for, for voters. Eight people running for mayor, 56 for council, 20 for school trustee, and 84 total. And Victoria, over here again, almost double the usual number. Eight people running for mayor, 37 for council, 30 people for school trustees positions. I've had numerous, and 75 total there, I've had numerous uh, conversations with voters, Sophie, asking me how, or telling me how daunting they're going to find this to go through all these names when many people are not affiliated with parties. We've got nine parties running, all, not quite full slates in Vancouver. Uh, Surrey also has a number of parties, but there's many independents that you just saw in Kummel's story. Uh, so it's a, it's a daunting task facing voters, and it's going to be interesting. We'll look at this as part of our election coverage on Saturday night mm -hmm. uh, and subsequent days after that. What will the voter turnout ultimately be in Vancouver with 137 names staring at you on one ballot? I, th I suspect some people are only going to vote for the mayor right. and a couple of councillors whose name they recognize and put off voting for anyone else. But it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds on Saturday. And again, that's why name recognition is so important. Mm -hmm. exactly. uh, and uh, Kennedy Stewart, even though he was an independent, as Gerald Byer pointed out, uh, he was definitely a well-known name in these parts. Mm -hmm. All right, Keith, we'll uh, see you on Saturday for full coverage. Yep. Coming up on the news hour, Russia retaliates. Moscow steps up its attacks on Ukraine. Plus, the reckoning at Hockey Canada, the continued calls for change even after the board chair's resignation. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Only days after a bridge connecting Ukraine to occupied Crimea was blown up with no one taking responsibility, Moscow took matters into its own hands, sending countless missiles into central and western Ukraine killing at least a dozen people and striking targets, Ukrainian officials say, have no military links. Global's Reggie Giacchini reports. A level of aggression not seen in months was taken out on Ukrainians early Monday. A coordinated missile attack striking during the heart of rush hour in Kyiv. Sending residents in to the subway. This is not the first time, but the fear of months prior now appears to be replaced with resilience. We heard explosions and came down here. Everything was fine, says this woman. As the smoke cleared, the reality set in. This attack, another attack on Ukraine, killed civilians. These strikes hitting a pedestrian bridge in Kyiv and regions much further west, including Lviv. Russia's defense minister saying all targets were hit, showing a ship launching missiles. Targets that included a playground. Moscow now nakedly attacking anything and everything. 
which Russia's president claims to be payback for the bombing of a key bridge into Crimea over the weekend, which he calls a terror act. He says further acts will result in a harsh response. No one should be in any doubt of that. The enemy wants us to be afraid, to make people run, says Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. But we can only run forward. Russia once again has shown to the world what it stands for. It is terror and brutality. Russia's attempts to conquer have seen limited success. Ukrainian gains, however, result in further aggression. Canadians, Americans and more still urge to remain out of the country, one that's increasingly being pushed to the brink from a menacing giant whose motive still remains unclear, a driving factor for Ukrainians in their push to remain independent. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Canada's Minister of Sports says the weekend resignation of Hockey Canada's interim chair is a step in the right direction. But as David Aiken reports, she and others say there's much more to do to change hockey culture across this country. Morgan Riley, Margaret Fred scores! Fans of professional hockey are looking forward to the marquee matchups that will open the NHL season this week. But hockey fans are also keen to see the sport's governing body in Canada make more changes more quickly. It isn't happening fast enough. Liberal MP Chris Biddle and MPs from all parties have been unanimous. Meaningful change does not mean just switching out board members. It means changing management. It would be good to see others. I think more important, the senior leadership of Hockey Canada needs to step down. Sport Minister Pascal Saint-Ange issued a statement late Sunday saying that the departure of Hockey Canada's interim board chair, Andrea Skinner, was a step in the right direction. It must now be followed, she continued, by a process of meaningful change in Hockey Canada's values and culture. We hope that the remaining members work actively toward the transition to a new leadership and governance team. Provincial associations have also withheld funds. Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador became the latest to do so over the weekend, joining Hockey Ontario, Hockey Quebec, but so far, Hockey Alberta and Hockey BC have not withheld funding, though some have called on them to do so. A BC hockey can, I think, play a key role if they step up now and decide to follow uh, where the other provincial federations have headed. Hockey Alberta said Friday it may yet withhold funds, but first, it too wants answers and action from Hockey Canada. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Well, this is World Mental Health Day, a day that's meant to shine a light on an issue that's often ignored. Many say social media has become part of the problem, but others say it could also be part of the solution. The next time imposter syndrome has you asking, why me? Answer it. Social media can often be a highlight of best moments, but across Instagram, TikTok, and other social media sites, there are also resources available for mental health. So why not take all the learnings that I have and turn it into like a 30-second snippet or a one-second view where people could be like, oh, that makes sense, that's me, or that's somebody I care about and know about. Janelle Peters is a registered psychotherapist in the GTA and often uses her Instagram to speak directly to people. Being burnt out is not just about doing too much. It's also about doing too little of the things that you love. Thinking of it as a first step to making them aware of therapy. The thing that feels so complicated is pretty simple once I have the right person talking to me. While social media can be effective, Peters also says people need to be mindful of what they consume. Social media is not therapy, so be careful what you absorb and absorb from somebody you know that 
is registered or somebody you know that can give you proper information. Doran Gold, a lawyer turned psychotherapist, says the information on your feeds can at times be overwhelming, but he sees the value mental health content has on social media. It does provide community when it's done in a healthy way. It does provide good information when it's done in a healthy way. The pandemic has allowed for more raw content on social media and is providing a more real insight into who people are. We are all, in fact, vulnerable human beings and not just machines. We need to just push our way through things and tolerate our circumstances. As for Peters, she hopes more therapists use their expertise on platforms to spread their voices and help people. You know what? Share your perspective because it just might help somebody. Amar Khan, Global News. Face to face once again for a Thanksgiving feast. Because I love the staff, I love the people here, and it's a great atmosphere, it's a great feeling. How the UGM's first in-person gathering in three years comes with a new set of challenges. And later, a helicopter ride over Sydney Harbour with an epic exit. Very unusual weather for us these days, Yvonne. Yes, we had record-breaking heat for Thanksgiving. Oh, so, all right, what we are tracking, even in the last 20 to 20 or so minutes, the winds are starting to pick up. We can see that on our tower cam for areas that are closer to the water. Right now, we've got a sustained wind. Let's get to that next area there. Ah, here we go. And right now we have winds that are picking up closer to 50 kilometers per hour. Maybe someone in the control room can give me a hand to see if we can advance that. Perfect. We've got sustained winds at 40 and then gusts right now of up to 50 kilometers per hour. Here's a look at the peak wind gusts that we've been tracking. So this afternoon, even to Abbotsford, over 30. But it is going to still be very windy as we get in towards the evening hours before things start to ease off. And that'll be late this evening. Our current winds, so we can see that for a few spots, even Abbotsford, over 30. But we have the potential to see those wind gusts closer to the water between 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour with the potential for power outages. We've had very dry conditions and we've got weakened trees and that'll be a big concern. Now, as we look ahead, here's what we're seeing for our wind forecast. So still through this evening, late tonight, we have that potential, those winds picking up and then easing off overnight. And we are looking at some fog in the mix and taking us in towards our back to work and school for the morning hours. Power outages are still possible for all areas that are in red that extends in towards the southeastern corners of the province. And here's a quick snapshot as we get towards the next graphic. Fire danger rating still sitting at high to extreme, and that includes the northeastern corner, so please be very diligent. We're not tracking any precipitation in the coming days. A look ahead to the next graphic. We are going to see that ridge continuing to build into next week and potentially over the next 10 days with dry conditions, so the drought will continue at the highest level at 5. The northern half of the province, a few sprinkles will be in the mix. Much of the central and southern half as we get towards the southern half on the next graphic, that's where we can see the potential for those temperatures still into the low 20s. Most areas along the south coast, as we advance over to the next, that's we're seeing 
Some fog in the mix dissipating through the afternoon. Highs will climb up to 18 through the day. It's our seven-day forecast. We can see sunshine right across the board in the coming days, 18 and 19, and overnight lows between 9 and 11 degrees. All right, tonight's weather window, spectacular shot. That was taken on the water over our Thanksgiving weekend, Boundary Bay, and this one taken by Betty Soph. Looks beautiful. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, after a pandemic pause, the Union Gospel Mission has once again opened its doors for Thanksgiving this year. The lineup for a warm meal on the downtown east side much longer and meeting that demand comes at a much higher cost for the charity. Grace Key reports. Outside the Union Gospel Mission in Vancouver's downtown east side, people are lining up to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal. They'll actually be able to sit down together for the first indoor holiday meal after more than two years due to the pandemic. It's much nicer. I like the gathering, the fellowship with everybody being together. More than 100 volunteers and staff are serving more than 3,000 meals. With the ongoing overdose epidemic, encampments, SRO fires and inflation, demand for these services have increased and workers are seeing a shift in those who are in need. We've actually been seeing more families coming to our resource center in New Westminster. We've been connecting on our mobile mission rescue vehicle with younger and younger folks and with folks who have children, which isn't something we had seen a lot of before. And so not only do we anticipate a lot of moms and their kids coming to our Women and Family Center, but we think there's going to be a lot of families here today as well. UGM is serving 1,800 pounds of turkey with all the trimmings. Like their clients, they are also getting hit with the rising cost of food. Serving 700 meals a day for 365 days is an additional quarter million dollar cost. Everyone here is thankful for the meal. And I was in the helping profession for 25, 29 years. And uh, I worked on the other side of the fence. And now I'm on this side of the fence. It's, it's, I can't believe it. You know, it's like, uh, thank God I got this because I don't know what I'd do. And I really love it because I love the staff. I love the people here. And it's a great atmosphere. It's a great feeling. UGM sees these single meals as a way not only to offer a sense of community, but as a connection that can help change a life. Grace Key, Global News. All right, Squire Barnes is with us now for a look ahead to sports. What have you got for us? Well, we have How are you, first of all? I should oh, I'm fine, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and you as well. <laughs> uh, the newest Vancouver Canuck is defenseman Riley Stillman, who... Uh, says he loves getting on the nerves of anybody wearing a different jersey. I know I'm on my game when someone's screaming at me. One of those things, if I can get guys riled up or rattled or I know I'm off their game, I, I have you. We'll learn more about Stillman and some injury updates and illness updates as well from Bruce Boudreaux. Thank you, Squire. And later, biting the spoon that feeds you, the edible utensils aimed at reducing waste. Squire is here. Yes, sitting at the big desk. Yeah. I don't have to sit at the kids' table this Thanksgiving. Slowly, slowly. I get to sit at the big kids' table. We're, nice. You're, you're making a comeback. The adults. We're table. just we're trying it out. We'll see how okay, it goes. Okay, we'll see. I, I promise I'll eat with my mouth closed. I won't <laughs> say anything out of turn. Here we go. 
Uh, the Vancouver Canucks had to submit their regular season roster today. Swedish rookie Nils Amund, uh, he made it. He'll likely be a fourth liner. Dakota Joshua also on the roster. So is Danila Klimovic, but that's more of a clerical cap space move. I don't think he'll start the season with the Canucks in Vancouver, more like Abbotsford. Um, also on the injured list to start the season, Ilya Mikheyev, Tyler Myers, and Travis Dermott. Now, we have not seen Quinn Hughes around Vancouver Canucks practice the past few days. Bruce Boudreau said he's not hurt. He's just sick. Normal sick, not COVID sick. Well, it's, uh, he, he's, this is true. He's feeling under the weather today. And we said just stay home. It's non-COVID related. It's just like a fluish type thing. So I said stay home today and hopefully tomorrow that you can skate and you know and and feel a lot better so put him on medicine and let's go has he gotten worse Bruce since you saw him on Friday no no not this portion no okay uh, there does seem to be good news with Brock Besser and even Ilya Mikheyev it looks like uh, Mikheyev will play at some point on the road trip, which starts the regular season. As for Besser, it's starting to look like his hand injury has healed a lot quicker than the Canucks thought, and he might be able to play Wednesday's opener in Edmonton. But how much would he be able to play since he didn't have any exhibition games at all? If he's ready to play on Wednesday, we're just to see how he plays. You know, I mean, he can always shorten the bench, he, you know, and he can uh, always take shorter shifts and, and be just as effective. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Last Friday, the Vancouver Canucks acquired defenseman Riley Stillman in a trade with Chicago for Jason Dickinson in the second-round draft pick. It's a deal that not only saved the Canucks some salary cap money because Stillman makes $1.3 million less than Dickinson, but it also gave Vancouver a defenseman who is a bit old school. He likes to get, in fact, he loves to get in other guys' faces, and he's not afraid to hit or be hit. Stillman walks in. Stillman shooting, and Price makes the save. I know I'm on my game when someone's screaming at me. One of those things. If I can get guys riled up or rattled or I know I'm off their game, I, I, I have you. And that ensured is Riley Stillman's calling card. He's your typical old-school, gritty-type defenseman who loves to make his presence felt. There in Where do you see yourself fitting in on this team right now? I, I think as a guy at the back end that's going to bring some grit and, and, and some hard and be hard to play against and kind of fit in that, that part of the decor there. And whatever they need from me, like I said, I'm going to bring here. And whether that's being hard and hard to play against or playing on the PK, one of those things. The timing of Stillman's arrival couldn't be better for both him and the club with news of fellow defensemen Tyler Myers and Travis Dermott both starting the season on the Canucks injured reserve list. There's also the up-in-the-air status of Quinn Hughes and how healthy he'll be come Wednesday night in Edmonton. Suddenly, Stillman becomes a valuable depth piece on the Canucks' blue line. Well, I mean, I hope he's valuable. Like, I, I'm pretty sure he's, you know, right now, I mean, with 6D, I mean, he's very valuable. Like, I mean, I don't know where we'd be right now if we had, uh, didn't, you know, had to practice with five guys. But he's learning the, the system pretty quickly, and... Uh, he looks like a quick learner, so I think everything will work out. Being a quick learner because the 24-year-old has played 108 NHL games for Florida and Chicago, and also because the Stillman family DNA is laced with hockey. Riley's dad, Corey, skated for almost two decades in the NHL, playing over 1,000 games. 
dad did it for a long time, right? He played 18 years, so uh, obviously he had a very successful career and, and some good offense and some good years at Werbo. When he's coming in, he had to play the same way I did. you got to learn how to check. My mom's dad played as well. Uh, played in the American League for a long time. My brother's playing right now, and my mom's brother also played junior. So it's kind of one of those things, and there's a lot of pieces there that have come and made me who I am. Do you like being a brace and being a sandpaper guy? You know what I do. It's something that no one's going to get a free lick, and it's one of those things where uh, I want to do everything I can for the team, and like I said, it's whatever that is, I'm there. Exhibition game between Canada's women's national team and Morocco. Now, of course, the Canadian men will play Morocco at the World Cup this year. The men will hope that they, are, they do as well as the women did against Morocco's women's team today. Jesse Fleming with the goal there in the 24th minute. Canada's a much better team than Morocco in women's soccer. Not so sure about men's soccer. Evelyn Viennes with the goal there from Sophie Schmidt, 2-0 in the 53rd minute. Clarissa Larisse, her first as a national team player. Good speed. And stays with it. One more look. Don't let the ball touch your hands. No, 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 no. Okay, now kick it in. 4 nothing win for Canada over Morocco. I don't know why, but there always seems to be certain athletes in all sports who cannot stop getting hurt. They just have no luck. Remember Sammy Salo? Sammy Salo was that way with the Canucks. And the Seahawks injury-prone guy is running back Rashad Penny, who when healthy is very good. But yesterday he broke his leg and he's out for the rest of the season. His unfortunate history with injuries is why Seattle drafted running back Kenneth Walker III this year. And he actually scored on a long run yesterday against New Orleans, but he's still going to be learning on the job for the Seahawks. It's obvious that he can do it and he can hit it. You know, there's no question about that. But um, he, he's just getting comfortable with the timing of hitting the line of scrimmage, uh, seeing the blocks at full speed. You know, he, he's he's just getting comfortable. He's going to get a lot better. He'll he'll just get more and more feel working with the guys. He hasn't had that many turns yet. Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City against their old rivals, the Raiders. Sometimes those Raiders have been in Oakland, sometimes L.A. Now they're Las Vegas. This is Derek Carr to Devontae Adams. That's a gutsy play on fourth and one, but it results in a touchdown, and Vegas is up 7-0. And they've been getting good work out of Josh Jacobs in the first half. From the very above camera, he gets over the goal line. That made it 14-0, but now it's 2010 at halftime. This is Rhiannon Ifland. She's in a helicopter. She's a cliff diver. She's won the world championship six times in cliff diving, but this... Now this is gutsy. Don't jump up too high. This is in Sydney Harbor. Take another look at it here. Yes, you can't do the big jump or you'd lose your head, literally. But she's okay. She's in the water. That's one way to go for a swim. Well, it is. I don't think I'd be doing it that way, but anyway. Well, you wouldn't be up in the helicopter. I wouldn't all. be in the helicopter either. All right. And I wouldn't jump in the water either. Thank you, Squire. Very sensible of you. Yes. Up next, cutlery. You can eat how a spoonful of spoon could be a tasty way to reduce waste. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, we're going to have more on that bold break-in you saw earlier in the newscast. Thieves entering a downtown Vancouver meat shop. The fifth B&E at Sebastian and Company 
in a year. Tonight we are going to be interviewing the owner. He's going to tell us what this means for him going forward and what else he found when he arrived at his business this morning. Also, we are watching the wind. If there are any problems such as power outages, we'll have the latest at 11. Sophie? Sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Well, the latest trend in saving the planet is a tasty one. Worldwide, companies are making straws, cups, and even utensils edible. Here's a look at some of the more delicious ways to go green. For catering business, Bartleby and Sage, their famous mac and cheese is always a hit. What makes the dish so special? It's served on a spoon you can eat. So we're talking mac and cheese with five cheeses on a cheese-flavored spoon. Yes, so you kind of have to love cheese. <laughs> I do. All right, cheers. Cheers. Boston-area company Edibles by Jack makes the spoons, which come in 18 flavors from savory to sweet. People are choosing these products because the client themselves want something sustainable, want something fun that elevates their menu. And the caterers believe they serve up a double dose of delicious and practical. We were an early adapter because we just thought that was a great way to serve the food and you can also eat the spoon and then your waiters don't have to go around picking up the dirty spoons. Other brands around the world are launching their own innovative ways to bite the utensil that feeds you. These edible straws from Sorbos are completely biodegradable and last in cold drinks for up to 40 minutes. The water is definitely still water, but the have the little aftertaste of the strawberry, it's like candy. Italian coffee maker Lavazza has made an espresso treat that comes in an edible cookie cup. And a company called Incredible Eats sells spoons and forks with flavors like chocolate, vanilla, oregano chili, and black pepper. Not bad. Like a cracker. You'll have to fork out extra cash for an edible utensil, priced from 25 cents each to more than a dollar. Compare that to standard plasticware, which costs as little as four cents a piece. Is it something you would pay extra for? Mmm, maybe, yeah. And while an edible spoon may not replace your plastic one just yet, the hope is to take a small bite out of climate change. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News. I don't know if that's going to do it, but <laughs> but it's tasty. What if you just eat the spoons, like snack on the spoons? Forget yeah, it's like a cracker. It, right? It's part of the appy. Would it work in something hot, like soup or something, or would it just dissolve? That's a good question, Squire. You have to slurp it. That straw only lasts 40 minutes. I'm a very slow drinker, so it wouldn't last for me. Okay. Anyway, I don't need straws. Doesn't matter. Uh, Yvonne, final word on the windy weather forecast. Still windy this evening. Should taper off overnight tonight. It'll ease off. We do have some fog in the midst for back to work and school, but then some sunshine and hot and sunny in the coming days. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on this Thanksgiving Monday. Have a good evening, all.